Do, 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 do. Here we go. My name's Todd. And I'm Kathy. Welcome back to yet another episode of Zen Parenting Radio. This is episode number 326, Big Ones. And what's the title of today? I, I forget the order of the words. Ritual and Change. You know why I'm excited for this podcast? Why? Is because I have done no preparation for it. Oh, good. And that will force me into presence. I have no agenda. Cool. Like there's nothing that I want to make sure I get in because I have no idea what I'm about to say. Great. Lucky me. Lucky listeners. Lucky. You're welcome, listeners. <laughs> um, so my name's Todd Adams. This is my sweetie, Kathy. Oh, and gosh. this is podcast number 326. <laughs> who listened to Zen Parenting Radio? Do you want to know who? I'll tell you who. People who want to feel outstanding. Well, they feel outstanding and they want to come back every Tuesday, sometimes Friday, to feel outstanding. Or Wednesday or Thursday. Yet again. Whenever or, they in. Yeah, listen. it's downloadable. It's on-demand radio. Sometimes when I talk to customers and they know what I do, like my side job, like, how's that internet thing you do? <laughs> like, they have no idea. How's that internet? Um, but no, I, they're like, what's a podcast? I'm like, it's basically an online, uh, it's an on-demand radio show about anything you want. Well, and I am such an avid podcast listener now. It's all I listen to. Yeah. So I, this morning when I went to an early, early morning yoga class, and I listened to, um, for the first time, I listened to Eric and Kathy. Uh, that's a Chicago thing for those of you who don't live here, but they have a show on 101.9. And I haven't heard their voices in so long because I'm always listening to podcasts now. So it was kind of like a throwback. That's right. Because they've been around a long time, they those two. They made it through. They did. Yeah. I don't know how, but they did. So our motto that we talk about on every podcast is that the best predictor of a child's well-being is a parent's self-understanding. Uh, we're going to talk about the um, conference here in just a quick moment, but uh, what's the name of our podcast today? Ritual and Change. Todd doesn't know what he's going to say. Oh, here you go. So this is my favorite song of all time, but we wanted to play our music, our Zen parenting music first. So I'm just sneaking this in. You're totally sneaking it in. And I'm only allowed to play 30 seconds, otherwise we get sued. No, we don't. No, we don't. Sun's coming out today. All right, that's enough. Stand Thank you, Shannon. Appreciate it. Did you say who that was? That was Blind Melon. It's a song called Change, and I love it. And it's a it's a sad song because he uh, Shannon didn't make it. No, he OD'd on heroin when he was 27, as and it he, turns out. He wrote that song, and it's all about, you know. Well, it's funny because I remember watching a Behind the Music with yeah, that VH1. Yeah, it was a Behind the Music. And he was from Indi he's from Indiana, and he had written that song, and yeah. he was before he was even in the band. And he was playing it on his front porch, and his mom was in the kitchen or in the house just, um, you know, he would always play. So, But when she heard him play that song, mm -hmm. like, oh, my God, my son is going to make it. Yeah. So Well, and most people in our generation know that song because Blind Melon was like college for us. Yeah. And that's just a great song. It is. Uh, so I wish we could play the whole thing. So let's talk about the conference real quick. Okay. So everybody, last week we announced the conference. As you know, we did a whole podcast last week about the three people you need to know. And those three people, of course, are Rob Bell, uh, Rosalind Wiseman, and Ali Smith from the Holistic Life Foundation. And by in the next month or two, you guys are going to know these people so well because they have so much great information to share. We're just thrilled to have them here in Chicago in person, but also to be able to utilize all of their experience, research, knowledge to make a great show. Um, so if you are interested in coming to this conference, which I think you should be, it's February 24th and 25th here in Chicago, actually at the Weston and Long. Lombard, but it's like 10 miles outside of the city. It's, for those of you who are flying in, it's not far from O'Hare or anything. Um, please go to our website, zenparentingradio.com, click on events. This is the time to get your ticket. Please don't wait um, because it is $50 less than it will be after September 30th. This is the early bird time. And if you are going to get tickets for two people, say a friend or your partner, um, you're going to save $150 by doing it now. The thing that I've heard from a few people, Todd, and this won't surprise you, is they've said, well, I got to see what's going on first, mm -hmm. and then I'm going to decide if I can go. My advice is make this the thing that's going on. Yeah. Because 
eventually we have to decide what a weekend is going to be. And it's just curious to me sometimes how we say, I'm going to let everybody else fall into place yeah. and then I'll fall well, into place. Well, it's so place. funny because I was going to talk about this. So basically with the early bird, if it's just one person early bird, it's 250 bucks. And on one hand, that is a lot of money and, and we understand that. And of course. it's time away from your, you know, your kids or whatever. But to your point, this is an act, this is an activity of self-care. And mm-hmm. I think as parents, we don't do enough of that. So we are going to spend two days focusing on self-care with these amazing speakers that come in from all over the country. And I think it's something that I at least invite you to consider. And then the other thing is about the 250 bucks is like, wow, that's a lot of money. But if you think about it, like we're going to have a million ideas that are generated as a result of going in that weekend. If you pull out two good ones to be a better parent for your kids, I think that's kind of worth it. Well, and Todd, of course, because he he goes the the brain part, like if you get two good ideas, and my thing is why don't you come so you can feel good, really good, and feel optimistic and connect with people who are like you and have some time where you feel like, okay, I'm going to make it and the world is a good place and people are good. And because obviously it's about self-care, but it's your own self-awareness, but also empathy and connecting to other people and compassion. And it just feels good. That's why we do it. Mm. You know, like Todd and I want to feel good too. And we know we have beliefs about the world that when you put something live together like this, they become realized where you're like, okay, good. This is exactly what we thought. So please make this the thing that you're doing if you want to be there, of course. Um, And so again, February 24th, 25th, there are two other things that are going on that day. Um, I'm doing a pre-conference workshop. It's called um, Self-Awareness and Feminine Power. It's going to be a really powerful couple of hours. I'm really excited about it. There is limited space, and the majority of people who have signed up so far have signed up for the pre-conference workshop. And I'm saying that to you now just because um, I'd like – if you want to do it, get in and do it. And that's $50 also though. So it's it's an extra. It's a little add-on if you will. And then there's also an opportunity to be a Zen friend and Todd will explain what that is. So a Zen friend, I'm actually trying to pull it up because I want to uh, announce who our Zen friends are so far, right? Oh yeah, So this will is you explain true. what a Zen friend is? Okay, good. So Zen friend is an option that Todd and I created this year for two reasons. Number one, because last year we had a lot of emails from people who wanted to attend the conference but couldn't afford it, which we totally understand. Now, we created some opportunities for them to come, and we definitely donated some tickets, gave some tickets away, and asked our sponsors to help us. But this year we wanted to make more of a defined scholarship program so other people could help people go. You know, let's all take care of each other, right? So Zen Friend is an opportunity to give a little extra, if you're going to the conference or not, to make sure that the people who want to be there can be there. It also is going to just go into the conference fund, so it will pay for scholarship, but also anything we need to make the conference great. Um, So basically, it just goes into the conference fund with the understanding that we're trying to get as many people there as we can. Um, So that's what being a Zen friend is, and there's been a number of people who have jumped on that too, right, Todd? Yes, you might know who they are. I'm having a hard time. Well, I'll, I'll tell you who the first person was. Craig Dooley. You know, it was Craig Dooley. It That's was. not who I was going to say, but you're right. He's one of our team members. Yeah. So just so you guys remember, it's Todd and I, and then our friend Craig Dooley, who is our first Zen friend, and Jessica Rapay from Synergy, and then my sister Christine. They're our team, mm-hmm. and they're working hard with us. Um, so why don't we do Zen friend next week? Because next you're week. still looking. Yeah. Um, we're If you become a Zen friend, the reason Todd was looking for the names is, A, if you donate $100 or more. I actually found it. You get your name on the podcast yep. and you get your name in the program at the conference. Yep. So it's kind of like, you know how it's like being an individual sponsor in a way. Yeah. Um, and so, so Todd, it's Craig go ahead. Dooley, Carrie Whittier, mm-hmm. and Jenny Zabraki. Thank you, everybody. There you go. That's a little better than my week. That's right. My week clapping. Now, it's funny. Carrie, so they're all special for this reason. Craig was first, and he's our team member. Carrie was the first person to buy a ticket who was not our team member. And Jenny is my good friend who won the free ticket last year yep. during our raffle. Mm-hmm. And then she just came in to be a Zen friend. Thank so you, Jenny. thank you, thank everybody. Thank you, Carrie, and thank you, Craig. So let's start. First partner is Tree of Life Chiropractic Care. Um, she uh, helps us every week or every other week adjusting our families back. So it's chirotree.com. 
Dr. Kelly, 630-941-8733. So jump in, my my sweetheart. Okay, so here's the thing. We... The reason that Todd and I decided to do this show is because I was listening. It just so happens I was listening to a Robcast. That's Rob Bell's podcast that I listen to every week. And last week he talked about seasons. And the reason he talked about seasons, he didn't mean seasons like, um, you know, like spring, spring. fall, winter. He meant seasons of life where things come and go, things change. And the reason he decided to focus on that is because his oldest son just – was dropped off at college. So he has a son who was ju- who's going to college now. He has a son in high school and then a, a daughter who's seven. And he was talking about, even though his son's going to be in LA where he lives, how hard that is and how there's so much joy and grief and there's so much loss and um, different. It's just different. Mm-hmm. It's just change. And it will never be the same. It will never be the same. There's, and The son will come back, but it he won't come back as... The high schooler, they'll come back as the college visiting his parents right? because he lives at college. It's a different season. That's all. It doesn't mean you don't have your child anymore. It doesn't mean that there's – it's just a different season. And I know many of you who listen to this show, maybe you're not full on empty nesters. Maybe some of you are. Um, maybe some of you dropped off your first child or your, or your child for their sophomore year or whatever it may be. But I know you can relate to this feeling. And I highly recommend you listen to his podcast if you do have a child who you know just went to school. But – Todd and I started thinking about change and we started talking about it and specifically about how important rituals are when it comes to change. I am a very, I am always loved, I have always loved ritual, but not necessarily in the way that many of you may think of ritual. Because when I said this to Todd, he said, well, I don't know how I feel about ritual. Yeah, I, I've had a hard time making friends with the importance of, of rituals. And maybe it's my Catholic upbringing that I no longer really subscribe to so um, seriously. And and that's really not the type of rituals that you're referring well, to. But that's what I thought of when I thought of ritual. But like, tell me stuff. why, why, like... Because ritual. church was boring and okay. it was the liturgy of the Eucharist and it was liturgy of the word and it was the same thing every single week. And aside from the homily that the priest gave, I was bored out of my mind. That's why. So when someone says the word ritual, what comes into your head? Communion, church. Yes. Yeah. So it, it's more like kind of a stagnant, you do this yeah. over and over and over again. Right. Um, and many of you may be thinking of that also. I think I want to take a step back from that yeah. and and maybe redefine ritual for everybody. I don't mean use my words, but look at it a different way. Ritual is actually for us to be able to deal with change Mm. and also for us to be able to be in present time and experience something fully. Um, It is for me what ritual has done is it helps me stop time so I can be present for either what just occurred or what's about to occur and acknowledge it. The reason that that's super important to me is because I feel a lot like many of you, I have to do something with those feelings. I am not one that can just kind of run through life and skip over things. Things come on really strong and heavy, and I have to be able to acknowledge it so I can A, feel it and allow it to process through, and also to then B, now here's the interesting part, let it go. Ritual is really important for letting go. So some rituals, and again, there's many of them to talk about, but I want to talk about some really simple ones that you and I do. Sure. Okay. Todd travels for work. All right. When he goes on, like, you know, sometimes he just goes for 24 hours and it's just whatever, but sometimes he has to go away for like three or four days, which those of you who have traveling spouses, you know, that can be difficult for the kids. And sometimes you, your spouses are gone longer, but regardless, three or four days is long for us. So one of our rituals is that before Todd goes, we all have dinner together. Mm-hmm. We sometimes take it up a notch and go out to dinner. Yeah. And you may say, well, that's just dinner together. That's not a ritual. It is a ritual because it is. we are doing it because Todd is going away. And we want to acknowledge that it's happening so the girls know. And we also want to make sure Todd knows that we love him and that we'll miss him and that we're acknowledging the moment at hand. The opposite would be, if you didn't do that, would be 
you know, we're going through our day autopilot, autopilot. So, yeah. Todd wakes up in the morning, goes, everybody's like, ah, there's like almost an inability to stay grounded. Yeah. Unless you acknowledge what's happening. Yeah. So that makes sense, right? It does. Well, one thing I was going to say is I was going to ask you, what's the difference between a habit and a ritual? And the example you just gave to me, a word popped up to my, my brain. It's like a habit with significance. Yeah. Would you buy it? Would you buy that? I would. It's a habit with significance, except the word habit. And again, this just may be mm -hmm. me. Yeah. But the word habit brings up to me something that I would do unconsciously. And these are conscious ritual decisions. Ritual is deliberate. Yeah. So there's some more deliberateness with a ritual. It's great if these kind of rituals become habitual. Yeah. But I'm not in autopilot where I'm like, oh, dad's going away. Let's have dinner. Like, it's more like dad is going away, you guys. What special dinner should we have tonight? Mm. And sometimes it's a frozen pizza. So don't get too excited, mm, everybody. The, home, the, home run in. The Adams house is not always big on. It's not big, gourmet. You know. <laughs> We're not gourmet over here. We give a lot to this world, but it's we don't we don't give gourmet <laughs> cooking to the world. We do not. We do a lot of um, Chipotle, home run in pasta. Yes, we do. So that's and, and another thing I want to make a point about because I've talked about these things with people before, and sometimes ritual can turn into superstition. Mm, okay. okay, can you give an and example? And that can be no? a problem. Um, okay, let me give you another ritual, and then I'll explain okay. to you. Another ritual that I have is if I'm going to do a meditation, there was about uh, a period of time when I started meditating, and this was more like 10, 15 years ago, where I felt very displaced, where I didn't know where to meditate. Remember, I'd go to the backyard yeah. and I would look up, <laughs> we live right, behind, um, a right behind a highway, and it was very difficult to meditate with a highway. Um, and I would try and find a place to go, and I didn't know where to go, and I felt displaced. When we, um, we redid our house about five, six years ago, and I, in our bedroom, created this spot where I meditate. And there's a bunch of rituals there. One is that I light a candle. Another is that I hold four items on my lap. Um, another is, is it that- the same four? Yeah. Okay. Um, another is that I have pictures of me as a child that I look at. There's, uh, there, there's a bunch of them. Mm. I do these things because it helps me ground and helps me feel at home. It helps me feel like this is a place that I can relax. Whereas before I'd be kind of all over the place, where can I sit? And I couldn't quite settle down enough. And this meditation area became my own. Now, that's important to me, but it's not a superstitious place. Meaning, say I sat down to meditate and I forgot to light the candle, that's mm, okay. Right. Does that make sense? Yeah. Like, it's okay that I didn't like the candle. That doesn't mean the meditation didn't work or that it didn't take. Right. Um, if I sit down and instead of 11 minutes, I sit for nine, that's okay. There are days I miss it altogether, and that's okay. Like, rituals don't have to be superstitions where we start to believe that if we don't do it, then things will go so wrong. So I think what you're saying is you don't want to be so strict on yourself if you decided that this is my ritual and then you end up not doing it a right. certain day. It's not a vehicle for guilt or shame or anything like that. It is a flexibility, fluid thing. It's They're there to serve you and help you, but they are not there to keep the bad things away. Right. Because that's what we start to do is we start to make meditation the thing that keeps the bad things away. Meditation doesn't keep bad things away. Yeah. Meditation helps you handle what life brings. It doesn't control the outside world. It helps you help yourself. Mm -hmm. It helps you in your own mind deal with what's happening and hopefully have a more... Um, not optimistic, a better lens through which you see the world. Because right. a lot of times we think things, bad things are happening to us, but then when we look at it differently, we see it has nothing to do with us. Right. So exactly to what, to what you said and then what I added, that meditation doesn't make, you know, and a lot of people, they have superstitions like that. Don't ball players have all, all sorts the time, of them? Pitchers usually jump over the third base or the first base line when they come off the field. I mean, baseball is a uh, very superstitious Yeah. Um, probably the most superstitious sport, professional sport that's out there. They got and, a bunch. And if the word, and I'm sure this is interchanged, but if they could call it a ritual mm -hmm. instead, like here's something I'm going to do to make myself feel ready for this game. Right. But if they make it a superstition, then if they miss a ball, they'll be like, oh crap, mm -hmm. I didn't jump over the third. And all of a sudden they think that's what caused it. Right. It's kind of like, you know, we're a Chicago family. It's kind of like, uh, and I know this happened in uh, Boston too, but you know, the whole thing with, isn't there a goat thing? Yeah. The curse of the goat. <laughs> the curse of the goat. And you know, there's all these superstitions that we believe. Well, they build meaning around something yes. that, that, that 
wasn't there when it originated. Correct. But we decided to put our own meanings on it, and sometimes positive meanings, and sometimes it's negative. negative. And so then we feel like we're cursed. And, and again, this is just the way of human beings. I mean, this has been around since forever. It's not that I'm saying all superstitions are, you know, are ridiculous because we all have them. Can I give you one quick Cubs thing? Because you're talking about the curse yeah, of the goat, please. and I don't remember the origination of the goat, but um, the Cubs have not won a World Series since I think 1908 or something like that, which is 107 years ago. And there's been expansion teams that have won multiple World Series just in the last 20 years. I mean, it's crazy how just how rare it is that they've won the World Series. And the one logical reason maybe is because for many years all the other teams played at night. Um, but the Cubs always had day games until 1988. Because they didn't have lights. So what happens when a ball player has a day game, what do they do at night? They go out. They go booze. Mm-hmm. Whereas if they're playing at night, they don't have the opportunity to. they got to go back to the hotel room and go to sleep. So anyways, that's one. Who was the player we always saw at Murphy's? Mark, uh, Mark Grace. Yeah, Grace. He was always there. Smoking cigarettes, yeah. drinking beer. I, it was <laughs> unbelievable. You'd be like, aren't you... Yeah. Aren't you a ball player? Aren't you batting third tomorrow? (laughs) It was crazy. But anyway, so yes, there are some more logical or if you really break it down, and I'm sure the people who who sports, you know, baseball is a big part of your life, but people who do it as a profession have like, oh, there's all sorts of reasons. But anyway, you know, ritual, I think, can add to our life. Superstition can cr- away, create maybe. anxiety. Yeah, or create, yeah. I, I really do believe it because like you said, you use the word fluid. We have to be more fluid. So um, another ritual, this just happened while you were gone. Uh, Todd did his fantasy football draft yesterday. Yeah. How'd that go? Uh, went okay. Actually, the computer, the website uh, grades everybody's draft just through some... Um, because you know, our society loves to grade people? Yes. <laughs> so they have like uh, algorithms that say whether or not you chose guys either too early or too late and I got the second highest grade. Nice. But it also um, is doesn't really mean anything. Did Brian get the first highest grade? Did he get the highest? I think he may have. Oh my gosh. Yeah. We were talking about how his team always wins and it drives everybody crazy. I'd rather not talk about it, sweetie. <laughs> I'm still recovering. I've been in this I've literally been in this league sixteen years and yeah. I have not I've not even gotten in the championship. You so won I an ugly I, trophy one year. That was a different league. Oh. So I am the Chicago Cubs of this fantasy league that I'm in. You bait you're nineteen oh seven. I'm waiting. You know, they're just Todd's in two leagues and one of his leagues, obviously that's where you won the ugly trophy. And it wasn't ugly, sweetie, it was beautiful. No. And it sat on the top of our piano in our family. Room. Centerpiece. And centerpiece pe- of this family. My girlfriends would come over and be like, do you really think that's okay? <laughs> and you know why it was okay? Because we were in the rental house. Because that was before we I thought moved. we had it on the piano in this house, Maybe too. Maybe we did. But- I, it is a really ug- ugly, bold, audacious, just not it's a ugly. nice thing that you want <laughs> in a living room. And I put it up there and you never said anything. God bless you. Well, yes, you know. It's the little things, honey. That Don't keep sweat us the together. small stuff That's because right. it's all small stuff. It's all small stuff. So you were gone yesterday for the draft or whatever, and there was Skyler was outside doing her scooter, and poor, you know, those little birds who sit next to me when I'm outside. Yeah. There was one in the driveway, mm. and uh, poor thing had been run over. So I don't know if she had passed away, and then a car ran her over. I don't know. Mm. Um, you know. So anyway, Skyler said, "Mom, you got to come out. There's a bird." Oh, I, I, I suck at that. Um, I feel so heavy and bad when I see either a hurt or a dead bird. I know. Well, it had been dead for a little bit. Thank like, goodness. if it was hurt or if it still looked, yeah. It, but it, it it had been run over. Yeah. So it, you know, I don't need to get any more detail. I, you know, I'm bad at it too. Yeah. I'm really bad at that. But first of all, you're not home. Yeah. Second of all, mom, deal with it. Yeah. You know. And Skyler's like, what? So I went and got like a shovel and a stick and I said, well, uh, we should probably bury this bird, correct? And she's like, yes. And and I said, where do you think? And she's like, with Greeley, because we have a rabbit that passed away a few years ago and he has a little area in our backyard. So we went back where Greeley's statue is and we dug a hole and we put that bird in there and she put uh, dandelions all over it. That's a ritual. Mm-hmm. And it's part of the reason that we have funerals and that we have wakes. It's it, for some of us. I know that it's probably gotten to a point where you know, like, oh, you know, do we have to go through all, all these motions? And and some people like who are much older, who have been around forever, are like, I don't want that when I pass away. Yeah. I want something different. I get it. But the the original point of it is we need to acknowledge mm-hmm. this life, and we need to take the time to stop and feel this. And even though. 
maybe a lot of funerals and wakes don't end up succeeding in that way. Maybe they do. I hope they do for most of us. They do for me. Um, that's the point. And even with a little bird, it's important to acknowledge that life. And I think that that's what builds empathy and yep. connection and yep. that this bird's life had meaning. That bird had a mama mm -hmm. who was very excited to have mm -hmm. that bird. And that bird may have helped someone or fed them. Mm -hmm. And we acknowledge her or him. So that's a ritual. Well, and I would say like that's, um, you know, getting back to funerals, it's a vehicle of healing. Yep. Right. Yeah. Yep. So if we never did that and, you know, a lot of people call them celebrations, which is kind of I just don't like that word. Like I, I, w I would love to tell stories like I don't know, I've I've been to a lot mostly Catholic weddings and they're just so stiff and formal and I'm just not a formal person. And when I think of ritual, I think of formality. I know. Um, and that's what we're shifting today is they don't have to be formal. Right. And like we uh, my mom's uh, funeral services a few years ago, we did. She didn't want a casket. So we thank goodness because I didn't want I don't understand caskets, specifically open caskets. And I know that that's a, a lot of people very feel very strongly that you, that's part of it. I was going to say, you do understand it. It's just, it's I don't not agree in with your, it. or you don't need it. I don't need it. Because you're not like upset with people who do it. It's just not for you. Right. Okay. Right. So anyways, so my, we had this like really great service for my mom yeah, and lovely. we just told stories and it was just so great. So anyways, um, so yeah, I, I think uh, rituals don't necessarily have to be formal because I'm not, no, there's some people that are out there that love formality. Sure. But this is not my thing. Well, and you know, it all goes back to childhood again, because I know people who grew up with Catholicism and they may still go to church or they may not, but there was something about the ritual that made them feel very comforted. Praying the rosary. Exactly. I mean, and so they grew up where you found it boring and formal. They found it consistent peace. and peaceful. Yeah. And so they love that incense smell and they love yeah. to hear, you know, the Hail Marys yeah. and, and it brings them peace. And so it's not about one ritual's bad and one's good. Right. So what we're trying to do in this podcast, obviously I'm I'm putting on my judgmental hat a right. little bit here today. We're not here to convince anybody no. which ones to do other than the fact that rituals can play an important part of your family um, experience. And again, we were calling this podcast Rituals and Change. Change it change is can be difficult, obviously, many different kinds of change. And we can lessen the difficulty through ritual. Yeah. Is I think if we can give ritual a new definition, so mm -hmm. we kind of all understand that it's bigger than maybe what we thought it was, and recognize that it's there to help us. Well, and what I was going to say is a lot of the times, you know, we, who knows where we were going to end up going on this podcast, and I did not plan to tell the story, but I think one of the other parts about ritual that uh, bugs me is it needs to be authentic and honest. And 15 years ago, we were sitting across the table from my dad, and we were, my dad was telling a story <laughs> about how he remarried my mom, mm -hmm. and it's at the pinnacle of when they were fighting the most, and you said, well, why did you get remarried to her? when you were fighting the most and what was his response or would you like me to share it? <laughs> you go ahead he said he i think we did it out of spite yeah and you know he did he explained and said i did it to see if she'd really do it yeah. he was testing her so it's just like that's funny like that's not a ritual that serves me you know because i remember going to it it was just felt weird because i knew they were fighting i knew that this did not mean what they were hoping it meant, and it just, it, I didn't connect with it. Right, and so. you knew it as a kid. You of course I did. Even before we asked him that, when we were sitting at the table, you had told me that story where you were so confused sitting there at your parents' Completely second wedding. Completely confused. Because you're like, they fight all the time. Why are they getting remarried? I, and maybe it was like a last-ditch effort. I don't know. I, I would have preferred just going to dinner and them not fighting. That would have been better right? than this, than being in the church and anyways. Well, and this is where I don't even want to focus so much on religion here, but this can happen with families around ritual where rituals become more important than the family and right. the connection. Right. Like, let's just, let's not make it a religious thing and let's just talk about like rituals at a wedding, mm -hmm. you know, uh, not just about what the church is doing, but you have to do this or you have to seat the guests this way or, you know, you have to, there's so many things that different generations believe are super important when really they're just rituals yeah. and we're the ones who put the importance on it because we think it should be a certain way. So other people think we're, it's sometimes it has its own story where you really have to break it down and be like, now, why do you think this is important? Mm -hmm. <gasps> hey. Oh my God. Just, yes. I'm sorry. No. Oh my gosh. Hi, Shane. Come say hi. Hello, everybody. Sit down, Waldo. So this is your first time on, put your headphones on. 
so um, my sister-in-law Shane just came downstairs <laughs> and scared. Did I us swear? To I don't even know if I swore or not. You might have. Oh, you sorry. Have to bleep we can edit that. No, no, we're just going with it. We're talking about rituals. Oh, um, you go. just missed the story about your parents. Oh. We were just talking about how your dad said that when he and your mom got remarried, he did it out of spite. <laughs> Do you have any recollection of mom and dad getting remarried at Queen of All Saints? No. Yes, they did it at the altar, and we were all me. Oh, you, that was um. Here, talk into there. What do you call that? That's not. That's like um a renewal or something. Oh, I don't know what the difference was, but I it, do remember that. It didn't seem uh, authentic. Yeah, <laughs> they did the best they could. <laughs> did the best they could with what they had. Exactly. <laughs> they did. Um. So I want to. This is good, Shane, that you're here because I'm going to talk about something else Rich. that you were involved in. So. We were talking about different rituals and we were talking about like basic, you know, things like funerals and weddings. But another ritual that somebody else told me about a long time ago that I put into place for my niece and my daughter and my next daughters, I'll do it too, is turning 13 and having a woman's party for them when they turn 13. What And I think I've talked about this on the show before that basically what it is is it's not just about – it's not about puberty. It's not just about that or getting their period or something. It's about that when they turn 13, they're, they're becoming a woman and I want them to have lots of female role models around them and I want them to know – that they are surrounded and that they have a lot of other women to turn to besides me. Mm-hmm. And you were there. Yes, I was. It was beautiful. And you were there for Maddie's too. You were there for my nieces. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I was. I well, think that it's so important for them to have a whole circle of yeah. people. I did, think that's so cool that you did that. Oh, thank you, love. Did you beautiful. did you get the 13-year-old party? I did not, but I did have like a circle of women that I could that I knew I could lean on aside from mom because yeah. you don't always want to go to mom. Right. right. You need It's just natural. Yes. To need extra support. Exactly. And I've had those talks with the girls about, you know, there are just things that I hope they can trust me. I hope I'm developing this communication, but if there's something that you're more afraid to tell me, but you really need to talk about it, here's all these women for yeah, you. That's so great. And it's like you're giving her permission to do that. Correct. Well, and, and I think that's uh, you know, out of all the ideas you've come up with as parenting our kids, I think that that is one of the most important things you've done. Oh, and, good. And we did it with JC. Has Cameron had her yet? No, because she's, she's not 13. 13. She's, yeah, so just 13. Maddie and JC. And and again, for everybody who's listening, you know how we were talking about superstition before? 13 is not a magical age. That's just what worked. Actually, Maddie's was when she was 16. Yeah. Right. So it's it's what, when you think your daughter is getting to an age where you're like, you know what? She has more freedom. More things are coming up. She needs to know that she's surrounded. So this ritual... It's not about having the party and the food. It's a ritual to remind her that we see her. Well, and the other thing, this is, now goes to the boys, but I think like the vision quests for you know Native American boys and uh, the term initiation is is uh, is a term that I use from in Mankind Project and all that. But even that, like there's certain some certain beautiful initiations that happen. I mean, you could say that you initiated JC into the next part of her development or whatever. Mm-hmm. But there's just a lot of sick and wrong initiation processes too. I was watching this, I don't know how I came across it, but it was on um, uh, You were telling me about it. Not that, but it's not the, what's the magazine? A Good Men Project? No, I was going to say like the biology channel. Oh, uh, National Geographic? Geographic. Okay. So it's these Native American, I I think they were African, I don't know where they're from, but what these boys had to do, Mm -hmm. I told you this, they would have to go find these uh, horrifically poisonous ant ants that bite you, and then this medicine man brings all, uh, puts them in some concoction where it gets them sleepy. The ants, okay. so there's like hundreds of ants. They put them in this thing so it gets them to sleep, and then they weave them into this, uh, um, like gloves. Yeah, these gloves, and these boys have to put these gloves on, and these <laughs> that's ridiculous. These right? ants just bite the crap out of them oh for 20 minutes. And they have to do that, I think, nine times. 
and their their arms were black, like oh they turned God. black, and it takes 24 hours for the poison to, and then during the process, the men are dancing with the boys to try to help them get distracted from the what point. it is that they're experiencing through, so. So let's break that ritual down for a second. Sure. What is, what's happening there? Because again, we can judge it and say it's it's barbaric, and you know, and obviously yeah. it's not something I would want to do to my son, Right. but what what's their intention? I think the intention is that life is sometimes has some suffering and if you're going to suffer you're going to be with a group of men that can share it with you and also to prove to yourself that you have the ability to do something that you didn't think you had the ability to and then I think there's some hazing like hey man I did this so you're going to do it too now if, if I interviewed these you know, this tribe, they'd be like, Todd, you have it all wrong. You have no idea what it's about. You don't understand the symbolism. You don't know why this is so important. I don't. It were just... they allowed to express like pain during the, or were they having them like? They, no, no, they, I mean, they had no choice but to express the pain. Oh. I mean, it's the uh, one bite is like 20 times worse than a bee sting. Oh my gosh. I mean, it was awful. So, but that's a good question because so a lot funny. of times it's, you have to tolerate yeah. it, not right. say anything, and not express it. Right. right. And I think like, I, I'm, I'm not apologizing for bringing initiation into the equation, but that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about ritual and initiation is a completely different subject, although it does have components of ritual in it. So I want to talk about like, because there's so many, and I want to make sure we get through a bunch of different rituals so everybody can see this in their own lives. Okay. A really basic ritual is, okay, we were talking about the Rob cast with change of seasons, changing your closet over. Like, do you do that? Yeah. You Do you change your closet? It's so overwhelming, but I have to. And that's a ritual. So mm-hmm. we go from, so we're in summer, we're wearing shorts, short sleeve shirts all the time. And then when fall starts to come, a lot of us, I don't know if men do this as much, Todd. Do I don't ever- know. What do you mean turn it over? <laughs> you mean get rid of the old stuff? Bring in the sweaters, bring yeah. out the shorts and take Oh, no, that, that's all. I have a one season wardrobe. What about your boots? Where are your boots? <laughs> oh, the boots go in the basement and then I bring them in the mudroom. So yeah, I, I or, turn that oh, over. Okay. Or he organizes them and then can't find them. Take it easy. That's one of our jokes is he'll say, oh. it's organized. And then I'll say, where is it? And he's like, I'm not sure. It's, yeah. Yeah, I, I, or, it's somewhere I, really I, safe. I, I organized it. <laughs> organized it. So how long are you guys into the show? Because I'm going to step out now. Hi. Um, speaking of ritual. Why would you want to leave? It's so bizarre because I was just coming to grab either you, I mean, you're in the show, but I'm going to go grab some flowers and put them on mom's headstone. Oh, oh wow. that's so, great. That's it, ritual. It's so weird that you guys are talking about ritual. I love it. Even though, you know, she said, I'm not there. Don't worry about it. Mm-hmm. It's still comforting for me. The ritual is for you. It is. And this is so, I'm so glad you're saying that because that's what people, superstition or thinking you're doing it for someone else is I have to do it or mom will be mad. The opposite of that, or the much healthier way, is I'm doing this because I want to be close right. to mom. She did not like the cemetery, no. so she uh-huh. didn't do it. But for me, I love it. It's like so cool. Aww. It's serene. It's like a really cool place. We'll go get them and we'll go I with will. you. Really? Okay. Can we, sure. Can you... It's got to be quick, but yes. I'm just going to run to Jewel and you guys can finish your show okay. and um, I'll just hang out. So we're going to practice some ritual after oh, the show. I've always it. wanted to be on Zen Parenting Radio. This well. has been so exciting. <laughs> Thank you so much for having me. Your dreams have come true. Oh, Hey, yes. y'all, all you listeners, you're in good hands here with my bro and my sister-in-law. <laughs> I mean, they're just some good peeps with a lot of wisdom, a lot of experience and a lot of insight. So keep listening. Thanks, man. Shane Adams, everybody. There she goes. That was a great, that was a great promotion. Yeah, it was. Completely spontaneous. Okay, love, we'll see you in a little bit. Okay, so another yeah. ritual, because I got a list here, and I know we're not going to get through it all. No. But since we're talking about, um, you know, funeral and putting flowers on a, a gravestone, another thing that you and I did that was very ritualistic is when I miscarried our first child, obviously, like many women who miscarry, I had a really hard time mm-hmm. for a while. And one thing that was very helpful to me is we decided to go buy a tree and plant it for that Mm, baby. For sure. And that tree is still in our yard. Um, That to me was so necessary because I felt like everyone was continuing on with life and I wanted to be like, everybody stop, I lost a baby. Yeah. And of course, people are not going to stop and life goes on. So planting the tree was a recognition that this child had come. And maybe had not stayed very long, but that this was a real thing that happened, uh, not to me necessarily, but through me. Well, I'm I'm very glad that we did that, obviously. And it's, if nothing else, I mean, I'm going to be very honest. It's a reminder that that had happened. Exactly. And if the tree wasn't there, 
if somebody asked me, did you and Kathy have any miscarriages? I'd say, yeah, we had two. But aside from when somebody asked me that question, I would not think nearly as much about this little being that showed up in our lives for such a short time. I and know. Then, well, and we did it for the next child, yeah, too. Number and one, when, number two. When I miscarried again a few years later, we did it differently. It was more, it had become, instead of like, I have to do this because you know, I don't know where to put my grief. Fortunately or unfortunately, we knew what to do this time. And we spent a few days alone. We went and got the tree. We, you know, we knew what was helpful to us the first time. I remember one time uh, there was something that we did. We like wrote something down and then we ended up burning it. So what we did is um, what I did, and you probably did something similar. I wrote a letter Mm -hmm. to the baby and also to myself and kind of like got all my feelings and sadness and grief. And then we burned it and we put it in the the dirt where the tree was going to go. Got it. So it's, I, that's another example of, I am not, I did it Mm -hmm. because I love you and I love this baby, but it's just does not come easily to me. I feel, I feel like I don't get it Mm -hmm. and it's not, and I think it's because I'm afraid of it. Because talk more about that. Um, I don't know. I think if I go to the depth of the feelings that are going on here with the assistance of some type of ritual, then I will break down and show my vulnerabilities and all these other things that I'm working on. So maybe that's one of the reasons. I don't know if that makes sense. Oh, I I think that is really honest. I think it's the truth. So to um, put on my mask, I say to myself, I would never say this to you, I'd like I don't get this. This That's is kind of, dumb. this is kind of kind of dumb, mm-hmm. and it's my way of protecting myself from not being my authentic self. Well, what does our society tell us, Todd? Move on. Yeah, it happened. It's done. It happens to a lot of people. Okay, with this situation, you'll have another baby. You'll get pregnant again, or um, because I had, I already had two children. Oh, you're fine. You have two kids. So th- it's built into our society that we need to move on. Yeah. And so e- even though you're like, well, I'm. I'm not surprised you would think that yeah. because most people are like, there's no reason to grieve. I'm telling you this as a therapist, that grief is one of the most healthy things that we can do mm-hmm. because what it does is it helps us acknowledge what we experienced and helps us integrate that experience into ourselves so we remain whole. If we have things happen to us that we do not grieve and we try and jump over and pretend didn't happen, it's almost like we lose a piece of ourselves or we numb a piece of ourselves or there's a piece of us we are unwilling to look at. Then we are no longer whole. I can talk about my miscarriages as as openly as I can right now because I went through the grief and suffering right. and had to and sometimes get even thrown back to that place in, in occasions. When people tell me they miscarry, I'm like, I can go back. But I can talk about it because I've integrated it. Well, what I was going to say is a lot of it is proximity. And what I mean by that is it needs to happen more than once a year. And I'll give you an example. In my Mankind Project, it's a it's a international organization, a group of men. And most often before our meetings, we smudge each other. Right. And smudging is, I'm actually just reading this. It's it's a Native American method of burning sacred herbs to produce a smoke cloud, which is used in various cleansing or prayer ceremonies. But we did that way before you did Mankind Project. Right. But right. my point is, the more I do it, the less silly I think it got is. Got it, got it, And got because it. I've been an active participant, like we would do it like when we move into a new house. Right. And then five years later, we move into a different house. So it wasn't happening. So now because I do it more often, mm. it seems more normal. Mm-hmm. Got it. Okay, that makes sense. So it's become, um, the ritual has become more acceptable and you understand why it's being done. Right. And exactly. And I think that that's what ends up happening to us with rituals is there's like almost this continuum where we're doing it and at first it's uncomfortable and then it gets into this really comfortable place where something like smudging becomes our norm. Like, just like you said, if whenever we have a new room or if we're doing, you know, we move into a new house or if we feel we've been in a place that's really, um, if I feel in any way that there's an energy around that I don't like, smudging is always an option. Yeah. You know, we have sage. Uh, do you know I have it in our bathroom under- Do you use it? I haven't used it for about two years. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't know that. Yeah, but it's still, it's got the bowl and everything. Yeah. Um, but anyway, it becomes a norm and yeah. it becomes a tool. Yes, now, absolutely. Now, what it, what it can become later if it 
this is, you know, we're talking about rituals and sometimes things that you learned in the church is if you have to do it and you're like, oh, now we have to smudge, then it starts to lose its value. Well, and this is a parenting uh, podcast. So, you know, a lot of times kids are the recipients of things that you have to do. This, you know what I mean? Give me like, an example. Well, you go to church. This is a ritual. Oh, you go to church. They experience They have it. to do it. So it's less meaningful for the kids because they're not choosing to do right. it. Right. And they don't understand all, they don't understand the complexities of why these rituals were put in place. We're asking kids to honor something that they don't have the life experience to honor. Now when I do, and we haven't been to a wedding in ages, but majority of your friends' weddings were Catholic weddings, so I went to them over and over again. And I started to understand the ritual. You start to looking at it through an adult's eyes, there's so much beauty in it. Right. Um, but as a kid, you're like, okay, all I know is I just have to sit here a really long time. Do we want to play this part of the Robcast or no? So yeah, uh, before you play it, I want to say why you're playing it. Um, I think one of the most important things about change, um, and this also has to do with ritual, but there there's this... Sometimes when we have a big change, if it be we are going through, uh, you know, our child is leaving or we lost a job or maybe a divorce or maybe a death... Before we get to the next thing, there's an open space and time that's uncertain. Mm-hmm. Even though all of life is uncertain, it feels so uncertain. Um, and I like the way Rob talks about it. So again, this is the Rob cast, him talking about change. Pain and loss and suffering. Sometimes, and this may be you, one season is ending or it's ended, but it doesn't feel like the next one has started. Sometimes you have this sense like, yeah, that relationship, business, job, season, marriage ended, but I don't feel like I know what the next thing is. And so you are in between. Uh, They call this liminal space. Liminal space is when you aren't in that and you aren't yet in the next thing and you're floating somewhere in between. And here's the thing, if you go through the wisdom tradition, if you read the mystics, if you read all the sages and the wise ones that have come before us, they always talk about all of the interesting things that happen in the liminal space. Because liminal space, oftentimes your reference points are gone. Because in the old season, you knew how it worked. You knew what the roles were. You knew who got paid when. This is how things function. And then when a season ends, you're sort of in between. Liminal space. People are running for their lives from liminal space. Yeah, they don't want to feel. They don't, they want, don't want to be there. And liminal space, and this is what Rob gets to. You know, he started up, but it takes another minute. Is this is where the magic happens? Liminal space is where we figure out how to look at things differently. It's where we realize our strength. Like if Todd and I are rewatching Lost with the girls. For those of you who are ABC Lost fans, then if you are, then you're part of our tribe because <laughs> we love Lost. And it's so fun to watch it again with our two olders. Our younger's not interested, obviously. She's you bailed eight. last night. That's because that's an episode I don't need to see again. Sweetie that's where Saeed tortures, uh, tortures uh, Sawyer. Sawyer, and I'm not interested. I saw it once. I don't need to see it again. And I could, you know what I did? I went upstairs and I read the synopsis to mm-hmm. make sure I remembered what he did because uh, he actually did a good thing at the end for that little boy. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, fair. sorry getting on a lost tangent. One of the episodes we watched last night was the one, it's called The Moth, and it's with Charlie when he's getting over drugs. And John Locke is helping him, of course, because John Locke rules the earth. Take it easy. I love John Locke. Um, He's no no Jack. But he's still John Locke. And he is helping Charlie. And of course, he gives the metaphor that we've heard a million times, but it was really meaningful meaningful in this situation because... He Charlie keeps asking John for the drugs, and John said, if you ask me again, I am going to give them to you, but listen, you're like the moth in this cocoon, and I could help the moth by breaking open that cocoon a little bit and allowing him to fly out, but he wouldn't make it. Yeah, the struggle, he needs the struggle. He needs the struggle to gain the strength to be able to fly. And the struggle is that liminal space. Liminal space. And, which is an uncomfortable place for us Uncertain. all to be, and we all have it. And what we need to do is shift our perspective on this discomfort because it's human nature to run away from discomfort. That's right. And I think what we're saying is you need to embrace the discomfort because that's how your strength builds up. Embrace it and normalize it. When you have lost a job, 
there is a period of time where you're stunned and you don't know what to do next. And you may go home to a partner who says, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? And there is a a respect in saying, I don't know. Mm -hmm. And to sit in that, not sit in that for the next two months, but give yourself a little space to be in liminal space and say, you know, like after a death, when someone dies and you don't even know which way is left or right anymore, instead of saying, I'm crazy, I should get over this, I should be back to where I was. No, you shouldn't. Mm -hmm. This is liminal space. This is, I don't know who to be now. Right. And I have been as all as you all have this isn't a Kathy thing but mine the liminal spaces that I've been in have been the transformative moments of my life they're the ones did you know that when you were in them not the first couple at all I mean of course not you're just it sucks yeah you know especially high school or a breakup what if the next liminal space whether it's tomorrow or in a year from now do you think you'll be able to with the wisdom that you carry right now do you think you'll be like in the, I know this sucks right now, but in the end, I will be stronger for it. Yes. And and that doesn't mean that I will handle it with grace and won't cry and break down and try and be like Charlie and that's ask part, for my drugs. That's part of this, the discomfort. That's part of the discomfort is we want to say, part of the discomfort is being unsure that we can tolerate it. But what I know is what I've learned from all of my work as a therapist and going through therapy and going through my own transformations of, of life, like having my own deaths and you know, little deaths in my life is that in that spot, I know it's going to be okay eventually, but I just have to sit in it. It's like waiting on hearing news mm-hmm. that you're not going to find out about something for two days and you have to sit and wait. Yeah. It's the same thing when you're grieving. You have to know that this is a part of the experience. Well, it reminds me because you and I had a pretty serious talk last like five days ago uh-huh. and... <laughs> Um, I was trying to figure out how we or I can make sure that this doesn't happen again. (laughs) And it's Todd's favorite thing to do. Yeah, like how How do we we keep this from never happening again? And two things. One is what you helped me realize, which I knew before, but I forgot because sometimes I forget things like the rest of us. But let me stop you right there. You don't forget. What happens is you become uncomfortable and you want the discomfort to go away. Exactly. So you want me to say, here's what we're going to do so you never have to feel this discomfort. Right. And what I said to you was, and and I'm going to let you finish that comment, but is my work from childhood is to be able to speak what I feel and your work from childhood is to be able to hear things that are uncomfortable. Right. Both of us are working our butts off doing those two things. In that moment though, you were working harder than I was because I kept trying to figure out how either this can be fixed or how we make sure that we communicate in such a way where we don't get to this point again. And eventually I came around and I sat in the discomfort. But in, in that in that moment you know, and that's the other thing. Sometimes when spouses are having, you know, discussions, serious discussions, I got to like gear up and in my situation, you know, it's not going to be a five minute thing. Like we got to, we got to investigate this. Right. And every time we investigate it, it makes me more and more uncomfortable. Correct. Right. Or uh, maybe it does because I can't speak for you. It does because I want it to end because I want to run away from this pain and I want to get I want to get to the solution part of it. So you, each time we have a discussion, you get more uncomfortable? Um, when we have a discussion, my initial inclination is, how do I fix this so we don't have to deal with it? But do you really feel that for the amount of talks we've had over our marriage that you are now continually getting more uncomfortable every time we talk? No. Okay, but that's what you said. It's a repeat of a pattern. Correct. My so, pattern is I get uncomfortable and I try to fix it so we don't have to be uncomfortable again. That so it's I not hear. like it gets worse and worse every time. So I misspoke if that's what you, you said. Heard. You get more and more uncomfortable each time. No. What you're saying is it's the same feeling. Right. And that's the thing I think we need to understand is that that feeling may never go away, Todd. No, I know. And I got to be okay with that. And that in itself is dealing with change. Right. Is there's part of you that that the cellular memory of when I start to share feelings with you is, oh my God, run away. Yeah. Or I'm not going to listen to this. Right. So you're doing the work, just bringing it up. And I got to do the work to listen. And this is kind of the point I wanted to get to. It is not about the man trying to fix things or me trying to get past these uncomfortable feelings. What you wanted in that moment, what you want in most of those moments is presence. Correct. 
mindfulness, accessibility, vulnerability, and I was too busy trying to figure out, okay, how can I stop this happening again in the future when I wasn't even present in this existing con- conversation or to defend your position right. instead of recognize I'm not attacking you. Right. What I'm telling you is how I feel. Right. So you can have all your, I don't want you to change anything. And that's the thing that you think is so confusing all the time. You're like, how, why are you telling me this if you don't want something to change? Well, you have, you didn't do it last time, but you have said to me, you know, there's, there was, a, and I think I've shared this on the, on the show, but there's been conversations where I'm traveling too much or I had been spending quite a bit of time with my buddies or just there were some things that I wasn't meeting the needs of the family. And the very first thing that you said to me before we got into this conversation was, listen, I don't want you to change a thing. I want you to just listen. And even though you say that to me with your words and it goes into my ears, even when you say that, I'm like, how do I change this? Correct. You know, like you're like giving me every opportunity to realize this is not about me modifying my behavior. It's about you releasing what it is that you want to release and mm-hmm. me listening. Right. And then whatever happens after that is what happens. Right. Exactly. And l- liminal space is in this situation is the discussion. Yes. It's this is uncertain. Yes. And when you say I'm working harder, I want you to understand that before I bring it up to you is when I do my work. Yeah. So you are you in that your present work done exactly. Beforehand and you and you propel me into that invitation. Right. Where I didn't, you know, it's, So I'm not you're not working hard or I'm not working harder than you. You already did your work. I just did my work, so it's already coming out. Right. Whereas before I did my work, the comments in my head are, you don't need to say this. You are you have an ego issue. You think you're right. Todd's doing his best. Blah, 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 blah. But the voice underneath says, this has nothing to do with Todd. Mm-hmm. You feel this way. And if you say this out loud, you will be free. Yeah. And because you love me, yeah. you'll hear it and know it's not who I am. Right. It's just a piece of something that's real. And now that it's been said, it's gone. It's poof. Yeah. That's the other thing that discussions or um, a ritual can do. Uh, and discussion and ritual are two different things, but a ritual can allow well, us to let go. Well, it's a ritual for you. For many meltdowns yeah. are a ritual yeah. for us. Yeah. And for those of you who have not heard us use that term before, it's. I think a lot of marriages become unhealthy because they do not um, express their feelings when things bother them. And one thing that Kathy and I are pretty good at, Kathy specifically, is that when there's a disturbance in the force, mm-hmm. you bring it up and you don't let it build up. Mm-hmm. And that's one of the thing. That's one of the reasons why I think we are as strong as we are as a couple. It's why we're good friends. Yeah. Because I don't have a whole story in my head about. Todd doesn't do this, Todd doesn't do this, and then I have one glass of wine and I freak out on you. Right. There's nothing underneath. Yeah. What I'm, there's, that's why I always say to Todd whenever he is uncomfortable is I'm like, aren't you glad I bring this up now? Because you know when I'm in a good mood and okay that I really am okay. Yeah. Like, I'm not being fake. Yeah. Like, I'm either, if I'm in a good mood, it's true. Yeah. And so at least you can trust who I am. Right. And that's what I love now from friends. That's something that I honor right. is when I'm with somebody and if they're if they're with me, I know they want to be there. So anyway, but... Um, can I bring up my se- our second partner sure. since we're 57 minutes no. into the show? Oh, gosh, we got to wind down. Uh, we can make it a two-parter or something like that. I but don't it was, know. So John J. Kelly, he's our dentist, comprehensive dentistry. Um, he helps our children... Uh, develop proper pathways and uh, through their breathing and everything else. And he's an expert in the Chicagoland area. So if you are in the Chicagoland area, give him uh, a shot. The website is chicagodentistonline.com. John Kelly. Thank you, John. So I can kind of wrap this up with a few things. Um, I also want to say that no ritual is too small. Um, This is a longer story, but I'm going to make it really short. One of the stories that Rob tells on the podcast is a man that he knows who whose work is to go in and help businesses. And one of the things that he had to do was go in and support a business who was losing their logo and they were going to get a new logo. Now you think, why do they need support? The people who worked there were grieving that this logo was going away. Right. And his job was to go in and help them release all the feelings they had about this logo, what this logo reminded them of, how this logo made them feel, and then help them accept the new one. Right. And he didn't really even need to help them accept the new one because once they let go of the old one, they, they were will. ready for right. the new one. They had space for it. Now, many of us will say, oh, what wimps or gush, get over it or big deal. People, people, listen, I get frustrated. Change 
is loss. And we have to at least acknowledge that in, and not pretend that we need to be so tough that we don't experience some, as Todd said, disturbance of the force. We can acknowledge it. Not acknowledging it is weakness. Acknowledging it is strength and honesty. It is difficult for a child to get a new teacher when they go into school. It is difficult for a child to move and start in a new community. It is difficult to to lose your job and get another job and start that first day. It is difficult to, you know, have a child who goes from middle school to high school. These are changes. And there is, whenever there's a change, there is a loss. That's the definition of change. So I wanted to say there's just nothing too small. Um, And really that a ritual is acknowledging that something is meaningful. And I, because I believe that life is about meaning and finding meaning, what's better than a ritual? Mm-hmm. Acknowledging what's meaningful. And it's recognizing time so we can focus on meaning because so many of us are on autopilot that we don't know if it's Monday or Thursday or Sunday. And if we're having rituals and if we're recognizing time, then we can feel meaning. Then we can actually say, I remember being 42. I remember being 37. And Todd will acknowledge that something I say to the girls all the time is whenever I hear a song, I can tell them what year that song was popular. Music is almost is ritualistic to me mm-hmm. because it's, it helps me with time. And I'll say, girls, I loved that song when I was a junior in college. They don't care. They don't even listen to me. I'm saying it for me. Mm-hmm. It's me acknowledging time. And also the ritual allows you to move through the feeling Feel it, take it in, and then let it go. It allows you to be free. You feel full by the experience, but not weighted down by the experience. And there was one uh, quote. There was a few, but this one I liked. Um, It's by an author, Alexander uh, McCall Smith. He said, ritual is a terribly important binding cement in a society. If we abandon formality and rituals, we're actually weakening the relationships that exist between people that bind. So these are things that we do for ourselves, but we also do them because they connect us to others. And it it helps others learn from us. It helps us pass on rituals from family or yep. from our culture. These are important because it reminds us who we are. So that's it, Ty. Well done, sweetie. Thanks. Um, we do have an iTunes review. Oh, nice. Um, this is from Two and a Half Hour Daily Commute. I discovered your podcast about a year ago. I'm almost done catching up on old episodes. That's a lot because there's 326 yeah. of them. While I wait for the new one to come out, you've helped me look through, look at life through a more positive lens. I feel like I learn new tools with every episode that allows me to be a better parent, partner, and self-employed business owner. Because of the great people you mentioned in your podcast, I've learned about Wayne Dyer, Tara Moore, Tony Robbins, who I've also subscribed to. I have a more peaceful daily commute because of you guys. Thanks for all you do for humanity. Oh, that's kind. Thank you so much. Thank you for that iTunes mm-hmm. review. It's really special. Mm-hmm. And the fact that we only got one allowed me to read the whole thing. Nice. Um, our third partner is Jeremy Craft, painting and remodeling throughout the Chicagoland area. Uh, avidco.net, 630-956-1800. Great. Jeremy Craft. He's a bald-headed beauty. He sure is. Um, a quick plug for my coaching for guys business. Um, learn more information at toddadamscoaching.com. And all the information's up there. You can book an appointment either in person or virtually on Skype or just on the phone. So Wonderful. Um, anything else before I close the show? I'll just say that, um, uh, actually, I'll just read this last quote and then say this. John Irving, who everyone probably loves, wonderful author. Rituals are comforting. Rituals combat loneliness. Mm. It's just another way to connect us to humanity. Todd used the word humanity from that iTunes review. I also want to remind you on the on another note, we're having a Screenagers uh, screening here in Elmhurst at York Theater. It is uh, September 26th, a Monday at 7 p.m. Get your tickets at zenparentingradio.com. And don't forget to get your tickets for the conference. Again, zenparentingradio.com. Uh, click events or zengetsreal.com. Um, a special thanks to our guest. Yeah, Shane Adams. She's not here anymore. She went to get the flowers, but she she surprised us. Scared (laughs) me. So I'm going to close the show with a song by the name of Cairo Walls. And uh, my new friend, Rich, who's a listener, we've been emailing back and forth. 
This is a this. It's written by this guy named Joe Purdy. Never heard of him, okay. but he's kind of like a Bob Dylan folk singer dude. Mm-hmm. And I'm just going to play 30 seconds of it. And it's about the country and change. So it kind of fits into a little bit of a history lesson and how we need to do different things in this country to make it work. So Wonderful. thanks, Rich, and thanks to Joe Purdy for writing such an incredible song called Cairo Walls. We'll talk to you all next Tuesday. Have a great Don't week. Don't point your guns at me. I am a friend. Blood runs the same as you. Well, I love my country, but my country is sin, and changes are overdue. So don't turn your back on a million people just trying to tell you what's wrong. This land is your land, this land is my land, this land has been bleeding too long. Hi, everyone. Thanks for listening. We appreciate it, and we hope you'll join us next time. If you're a fan of Zen Parenting Radio, consider leaving us a review on iTunes. This helps people find us. You can also just tell a friend about our show. That's our favorite kind of marketing. Todd and I do speaking engagements about Zen Parenting and self-awareness, so if you have an interested group or organization, contact us at comments at zenparentingradio.com. And get your early bird tickets for our big Let's Get Real Zen Parenting Conference February 24th and 25th at the Westin in Lombard. Todd and I will be speaking Friday night, and we have Rob Bell, Rosalind Wiseman, and Ali Smith as our keynotes on Saturday. If you want to know more about self-awareness or conscious parenting, pick up one of Kathy's award-winning books at zenparentingradio.com or Amazon. If you're a guy, I have two resources for you. I coach guys. It's called Coaching for Guys. <laughs> On the phone, Skype, or in person, we set goals together and come up with a plan to meet those goals. The website is toddadamscoaching.com. And we also have a monthly men's group. So if you're looking for a group of men to have authentic conversations with, check out the tribemensgroup.com. If you ever shop on Amazon, you can help us out by first going through the Amazon link on our homepage. It doesn't cost anything to you, but we get a small commission from Amazon. If you want an amazing vehicle to teach your kids about money management, go to the lower right-hand side of our homepage and click on the FAMZOO logo and enter Zen Finance as a promo code. I want to give a special thanks to our three partners, Tree of Life Chiropractic Care, John J. Kelly Dentistry, and Avid Painting and Remodeling. Thanks for your love and support. Keep on trucking.